The Secretariat building in New York has 38 stories. If you lost 10 stories today, it would make a bit of difference. The United Nations is one of the most inefficient intergovernmental organizations going. UNESCO is even worse, and others go downhill from there. Hi, this is Michael Graham. Welcome to another edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast brought to you by PerfectSmiles.com in Nashua. More about our sponsors coming up. But first, no Drew Klein on the podcast. Uh, he's doing his court-ordered community service. You can't do a podcast and pick up trash outside uh, the streets of Merrimack at the same time. So it's just the two of us. But that's great because I've got some great guests coming up, uh, including former UN Ambassador John Bolton, possible 2024 presidential contender. Who knows? Also, if you haven't subscribed to the NH Journal newsletter, uh, just go to nhjournal.com and up in the right-hand corner, you'll see a little thing that says, hey, subscribe to the newsletter. It comes out every early morning, late night. Usually we, uh, we distribute them uh, sometime around 11 PM. So when you wake up in the morning, it's there waiting for you in your email box. And thank you so much for those of you who have uh, uh, given us comment on how much you enjoy the newsletter. We have a great time uh, doing it and uh, we have great writers and that you'll see, uh, see there. So please subscribe to the newsletter. Just go to nhjournal.com. It's right on the screen. And if you ever have any story tips or information or just want to complain, you can always email news NHJ at insidesources.com insidesources.com news and hj and insidesources.com and now please welcome to the podcast the lovely and talented jim merrill he's a managing partner over at bernstein sure and of course a lifelong new hampshire republican flack hey merrill welcome to the pod thanks for having me mike good to be with you as at my pleasure absolutely so i want to start with a really easy question when will uh, Governor Sunu announce he's running for U.S. Senate, and by what margin will he win in November 2022? <laughs> Something easy. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, so I, I, I think it'll be by Labor Day at the latest. I think. Um, and he's I, in. I think that he's in. I, I think so. I, I, I think you know, and you know, you and I talked a little bit about this, Michael, off and on, and I, I've kind of evolved on this. A few months ago, I really felt like he wasn't going to do it, um, but. You know, I'm I'm convincing myself that I think it's going to happen, and I think you know he'll get through a budget session here. You'll have a, you know, the session will come back, uh, the legislature come back in September for veto day. But I think shortly after that, uh, I think my guess is he'll announce, and um, and if he announces, uh, he's gonna he's the number one recruit in the country for Republicans, and I think he'll win that race in November 22. Uh, I want to we're gonna leave the Sununu question right there because it is a question. Let's go to someone that we know is going to be on the ballot unless something truly bizarre happens, which is Senator Maggie Hassan. And I have to tell you, being relatively new to New Hampshire politics up close and personal, I have been stunned by the gap between where the New Hampshire Democrats are and Hassan's kind of leading the way and where the people are. I've never seen... And you tell me if I'm missing something here on issue after issue, whether it's voter ID or whether it's spending trillions of dollars or what, you know, uh, uh, whether it's the filibuster, it's like there's a disconnect between where the, the, the political territory Democrats are choosing to grasp versus where the voters are. Where's the sucking up to the voters that I'm so used to and, and admire from politicians? Yeah, I think I think what you see is is sometimes you kind of get stuck in an issue set. Uh, without recognizing that, um, you know, the electorate has evolved and, and, and you know, and, and not kind of getting a good read on the tea leaves. And we've seen that happen in election cycle after election cycle where, 
you know, people wage um, the battles of a past campaign on issues not recognizing the ground has shifted beneath them. And Trump is a great example in 2016, right? I mean, you know, most of our Republican candidates in that primary were fighting on kind of traditional, if you will, right. uh, issue set. And he came at it from a totally different perspective. And he, you know, he, he sensed it and he read it and uh, to credit to him. And, and the Clinton people obviously misread it as well. And so I think there's still some of that happening. And, you know, abortion is a great example. Um, as you know, and you know, the media will say, well, you know, New Hampshire's a majority, you know, pro-choice state and it's survey after survey make it clear there's a large majority of people that support, you know, abortion rights. But when you slice that more thinly and you look at, you know, a 24 week ban on abortion and, you know, uh, prone notification and notice periods, suddenly you say, you know what, there's actually a lot of support for these kind of more exactly. narrow cast issue sets. And so, um, I think uh, a savvy candidate is going to understand that and use that to their benefit. Well, let me uh, pick up on that because when uh, the New Hampshire Democratic Party and people like Senator Shaheen and the ACLU say you can't be pro-choice and support this limitation, well, the polls show that overwhelmingly people who call themselves pro-choice support the limitation. They're, they're narrowing their circle on purpose, which I think is weird. And I'll follow that up with the decision that Senator Schumer has made that he's going to force a vote on H.R. 1, the For the People Act, S1, you know, whatever you want to call it, the the uh, legislation that would federalize elections that Bill Gardner says endangers the first in the nation primary. And more importantly, that says to the people of New Hampshire, you can't choose to have voter ID and you can't choose to stop counting ballots after election day. And so Hassan's going to have to take that vote. Yeah. Once again, am I wrong that that's a... <clears throat> not that's not that's not going to be a good day for senator hassan it's not a, it's, it's not a great vote to take because i think um you know the longer that bill has been out in the public domain for discussion i, I think the, the more holes that are poked in it uh, and the more concerns that are raised about it and certainly those of us saw up front um it does federalize elections um and you know, as we sit here in new hampshire we look and say you know we do this right we do it well what are we doing bringing in all these federal guidelines? And um, it doesn't make sense. And I think Secretary Gardner has been right about it. And so that's a vote that um, I think, you know, when it's ultimately taken, there are a lot of folks going to want to try and avoid, but they're not going to be able to. That's a tough one to be argued. That's a tough one to argue. One issue that's never going to go out of style in New Hampshire is talking about local control. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it's, it gets overused sometimes, but you know, this one is just such an obvious meatball across the middle of the plate. Um, <laughs> it federalizes elections. And I don't think that's something that's warranted in New Hampshire or, frankly, the country. Um, and so that's a tough vote to take. I, I got to say, I don't to me, I, I think in the terms of campaign ads, because I used to be a flack like you, you know, before, you know, I, I found some dignity and self-respect and ethics. And um, the, I mean, the ad is right there. Senator Hassan said no to voter ID. You want voter ID? She said no. Paid for by whoever. Good debt. You know, goodbye. And yep. that's just, that's it. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the whole thing in one swoop. And so they keep doing this on issue after issue. I'm I'm stunned by it. And it's a challenge, Michael. It's a challenge. Like we talked earlier about, you know, slicing issues. And right. you know, you might get a survey question that'll say, "Listen, people want, you know, they want free and fair elections, and they want to encourage turnout." Which don't we all? Of course. Um, absolutely. Um, but when you slice it and you say, what about voter ID? And um, broad percentages of people, bipartisan percentage of people, they agree with that. 
and they should. Um, you've got to show an ID to, you know, to to buy alcohol at the liquor right. store, to get on a flight. You should be able to do that to, you know, cast your vote. But, but and I'm, as we know, for people that don't have a photo ID, there are other provisions you right. can take to make but, sure they're able to vote. But, but see, you but you've stumbled into debating like actual policy and governance, which I have no right. interest in those things whatsoever. Right. Just a simple win elections thing. Do you want to spend six trillion dollars? The answer, no. I think, in New Hampshire is no. Senator no. Hassan is being put in position to say yes and to defend it. And so I, I want to wrap up with this. What if you were advising Senator Hassan looking at a really tough race, would you advise her to embrace the party and say, well, I'm going to gin up my base. We're going to, you know, we're going to turn out every Democrat. We're going to pull them out from under rocks. Or would you say to her, go after the, you know, the independent voters, make some distance between you and Biden, even if that leaves progressives at home? Listen, I, I, I think it's the latter. Uh, I, I, you know, my view is uh, the Senate races are going to be the show in 2022. We got a 50 50 Senate. Both sides are going to know that every seat counts. And so I think the party's going to be with Senator Hassan. And they should be. If you're a Democrat, you should be because, you know, you got to hold that seat because, you know, you can't afford to, um, you know, lose anything. Right. Um, and so I think for her, and you see her doing this, and you've talked about this. Um, citing bipartisanship and things like that. Um, I think voters up here appreciate that level of independence. And I also think, and I go back to the, the Shaheen race in 2014, and I give Jean Shaheen a lot of credit. She is a, and she's a very good, uh, she's very good at what she does. And in 2014, she had a tough race against Scott Brown. And, you know, he went with a national campaign focus on national issues. And she really went micro, went local, and really talked about what she had done for the state you know, through grants for, you know, water systems and sure. for the, you know, the shipyard and all of this and, and talked about town planners she knew. And it was a really shrewd tactic to say, I'm not a creature of Washington. I actually, I know New Hampshire and I understand it. And so I think Senator Hassan um, would be well served to try and do the same thing to, for, to stave off what I think will end up being a very tough challenge from uh, Governor Sununu. Right now, there is a infrastructure bill compromise with you know both sides of the aisle working on it that cuts out a lot of the non-infrastructure infrastructure. You know, focuses on the traditional stuff. It's got Mitt Romney on it. It's got Senator Shaheen on it. It's got you know Toomey and that gang. Guess who's not signed up on it, Jim Merrill? Yeah, um, Maggie Hassan. And I think yeah. she's not, I think that the theory of politics being base versus base is the theory that the consultants are living in. And I wonder if they're not fighting the last battle, you know, as you so often do. And that if, when you look at the swing among independent voters, they, they seem to be, they seem to be coming out of the Trump fever, whatever that was faster than the consulting class is. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it happens. And the, the, you often see that where consultants, they wage that last battle and, you know, it, it's hard to look over the horizon, but uh, I do think right now that um, again, Senator Shaheen has, has shown um, independence from time to time and uh, has shown that. And I think in, in when she's campaigned, she's demonstrated that. And I think, you know, this is uh, Senator Hassan's first term and much like Kelly Ayotte uh, had her first term, had a very tough, that's the, that's the, that's probably the toughest race the senator's ever yep. going to face is after their first six years, right? Because you don't really have enough time to build that kind of record of accomplishments and legislative um, achievements. And, uh, and you haven't really found your footing yet. And so I, I think it all comes together in a midterm election with the Democrats holding the White House, <laughs> where traditionally you and I know Republicans are going to do well. 
I mean, if, if you have potentially a potential top of the Republican ticket here of maybe a, you know, Christian Nunu and a Kelly Ayotte, potentially think about that. That'd be a that'd be a pretty uh, that'd be a pretty tough ticket. Um, and um, so we'll see. You know, she's got you know she's got time. There's time. It's right. the summer of the year before and things change quickly. But, um, you know, right now, you know, looking at that potential challenge, I'd be nervous. The average pickup for Republicans when there's a Democrat president and it's his first midterm, six Senate seats. That's the average in recent history. Republicans just need to do one sixth of that to take the Senate. And talking about looking at the future, uh, a uh, super PAC from John Bolton, former UN ambassador and possible presidential candidate, uh, surveyed New Hampshire Republicans and found a shift in their attitudes about Donald Trump. And we caught up with the former UN ambassador, and he joins us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Before we get to our conversation with former UN ambassador John Bolton, a quick shout out to Bruce and Stephanie Houghton at Perfect Smiles in Nashua, perfectsmiles.com. They gave me my perfect smile. They gave Howie his perfect smile. They're just terrific. They were sponsors of mine on radio and they support the podcast. And if you want to do something to support New Hampshire Journal and the journalism that we do, and you don't have a dentist right now, or you don't have a dentist that you're happy with, or you've been thinking about having a, that perfect smile, maybe COVID kept you locked in and now you're ready to relaunch again, please go to perfectsmiles.com, see Dr. Bruce Houghton, tell him Michael Graham sent you. You'll be so glad you did. First of all, I hate going to the dentist and he's very gentle and calm. He's also incredibly competent. Look, I know how frustrating it is out there. You hire somebody to do some work and then they, they stink, they don't do a very good job, they're not motivated. Dr. Bruce, he's passionate about what he does, and he's always getting new training. He is at the top of the game for dentistry. And I know because he's been my dentist for years. On the web, perfectsmiles.com, Dr. Bruce Houghton, Perfect Smiles in Nashua. It's a delight to welcome former UN Ambassador John Bolton to the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. Ambassador Bolton, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. And so obviously the first question I would ask for you is, when are you going to take out all those floors in the UN that you've been talking about for years? We're ready for them to go, Ambassador. What's taking so long? Well, I, I would divert it into other things. <laughs> the, the, certainly the UN's performance hasn't improved in the intervening years. So maybe we ought to look at some more floors. Well, we do want to talk about the John Bolton Super PAC and the poll that you just had come out regarding New Hampshire Republicans and how they view things, but can't talk to you without talking about foreign policy. And I know it's early to have a Biden doctrine, but what's your first six months in take on the Biden foreign policy approach? Well, I'm actually quite surprised at how uh, unprepared Biden seems to be in, in many respects. Uh, as, as you rightly say, it's early to have a doctrine, but but you'd at least like to see some uh, major points of uh, emphasis and uh, uh, some some description of how he sees things unfolding. And in case after case, whether it be China, which I think is the existential question for the United right. States for the rest of the century, uh, or Russia, where uh, where Biden has tried to distinguish himself from Trump, nonetheless, you don't see the strategic picture. Now, perhaps we'll see some of it uh, next week in Geneva when when Biden and Putin actually meet. Uh, but uh, because I think Biden has wanted to focus on ending the uh, pandemic restrictions, obviously we all want to see the economy return to growth and, and normality. Uh, he's really downplayed foreign policy. And, and it just has surprised me that his people seem to be repeating kind of stock phrases uh, without seeing a lot of right. policy thus far. 
So one last question on foreign policy, then we'll jump into the poll. And that is, I'm taken aback by a president who says no to the Keystone pipeline and yes to the Putin pipeline. Am I just a naive about you know global pol politics and foreign policy, or does that seem not smart? Well, I think I think that's a very kind way to put it. I mean, I just think it's uh, it's inexplicable why a, a president who said he wanted more American jobs and and uh, and and wants to emphasize our economic strengths would not have gone ahead with Keystone. Uh, it's not like it's environmentally unsound. It's not. I mean, the the only argument you can make there is the kind of argument where you don't have any new hydrocarbon development at all. Right. And that isn't going to happen for decades and decades to come, even under the most green assertions people could make. Nord Stream 2, the, uh, the uh, Baltic pipe, gas pipeline from Russia to Germany, is a good example of the point I made a moment ago of right. lack of clarity in the Biden uh, foreign policy. He says he doesn't want the pipeline completed. He acknowledges that U.S. statutes trigger sanctions, and then he waives the sanctions. So, so what is it? You want the pipeline or you don't want the pipeline? And I think that kind of uncertainty uh, uh, risks undermining his credibility very, very early in his administration. If people don't know what he's really about, it's hard to, to have faith in his judgment. So you went in the field uh, with the uh, John Bolton Super PAC. We'll talk more about why that exists in just a second to talk to Republican voters here in New Hampshire about how they view President Trump. Two questions. What did you find out and why did you ask? Well, I started because uh, I don't uh, believe that the media conventional wisdom that Trump's support base within the Republican Party is a kind of monolithic block of granite, unalterable, unmovable, totally within Trump's control, that it's the Trump Republican Party. Uh, and, and that line of chatter, I just don't think it's accurate. And I wanted to test that. And uh, so the poll in New Hampshire is actually the second poll we conducted. We did one asking many similar questions on a a nationwide basis, released that at the end of April. I picked New Hampshire for my first state poll because uh, you've got both a Senate and a governorship race right. next year. And obviously, New Hampshire remains the first in the nation primary for the 2024 presidential nomination. And uh, the, the poll in New Hampshire, we commissioned through St. Anselm's uh, New Hampshire Institute of Politics. So they did the data gathering. We did the analysis. I, I really wanted the gold standard in New Hampshire. Right. I, think, I think they give it. Uh, and I think the New Hampshire poll is very consistent with the national poll. Trump's strongest support is diminishing. Uh, people who view him most favorable down by 35% in New Hampshire from the poll just a few months ago. Uh, that's the almost exactly the same as uh, in the national poll. Uh, I think we see consistent support at the near 90% level. Republican voters uh, are going to make their judgment based more on candidates' philosophy and policy than on what they think about Donald Trump. Uh, I think uh, even when Trump's endorsement uh, uh, might make a difference in a Republican right. primary, and there's some indication that's true in New Hampshire, uh, it's a, it could be the kiss of death in the general election because independent voters in New Hampshire, as around the country, uh, are very, very negative on Trump. So if your objective as a Republican uh, is to get people elected who pursue conservative policies, you would hope to find somebody who could get to 51 percent and not, <laughs> not, not simply win Republican primaries. Right. 
I want to point out one number that you found, which is the significant erosion of strongly favorable voters. And uh, I don't know if you ascribe to the conventional wisdom, Ambassador Bolton, that we are in a moment of base versus base politics. That is, we're not spending a lot of time talking to the swing voters. What we're doing is trying to get some of them to join your team, and then it's you know, straight to team play. If that is the case, then the, then the former president has suffered a, a severe drop. 71% strongly favorable when you polled before, down to 47% strongly favorable. That's significant. Well, it's huge. And, you know, you go from, from very favorable, maybe down to somewhat favorable. It, it's If you lump the two together, it doesn't look like there's much change at the top, although the overall favorable is also sure, sure. decreasing. But when somebody says they're somewhat favorable to somebody, that's a polite way of saying, I can go to somebody else, too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, favorability also goes to motivation, strength of conviction, and the rest of it. I don't think people should be surprised that Trump's base is decreasing. Uh, you know, he went from uh, sitting in the Oval Office, the most powerful office in the world, to sitting by the swimming pool at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, he's not president. Uh, he's not going to be president uh, in August. Uh, uh, there's a new president proposing policies that most Republicans are very concerned about, concerned about higher taxes, right. bigger government spending, higher inflation, which, which many people don't remember. They don't remember that it took Ronald Reagan and, and Paul Volcker to wring inflation out of the system in the early 80s. So uh, people look forward when they vote. They want to know who's going to represent my interest in, in, in what's coming, not relitigating the 2020 sure. election. I'm not saying Trump has no influence. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we're nowhere near that point. But his influence is declining, I think declining pretty rapidly. We're going to look at other polls nationally and in other states to continue to try and measure that. And, and I hope other people are going to poll, too. I think data is important here. Let's understand what's actually going on, not some media mythology. Uh, two last things. One is the the question that I heard uh, among people who I used to work in politics back in my misspent youth, and I misspent even more by getting into journalism. But the question was, if a president who you are not a big fan of calls and says, will you serve? Should you say, yes, I will serve, even though I'm unhappy with the president or no, I just can't do it. You chose to serve. Was that the right decision, do you think? Well, I don't, I don't normally look back on and second guess my decisions, but I, I believed going into the Trump administration that it must be the case that like every other American president, he had been uh, uh, impressed by the burden of the responsibilities, right. understand the gravity of decisions he was making in national security, and that he would be presidential in the same sense that others had been, not a Democrat or Republican, but but presidential looking at America's interests first. It turned out that didn't apply to Donald Trump, like many other things don't apply to Donald Trump. And I worked as long as I could, as, as others did within the administration, to try and give the best advice we could. I like to say I was the national security advisor, not the national security decision maker. Uh, it uh, it didn't end happily, uh, That that's for sure. But I, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, when you have an opportunity to give service to the country, uh, you ought to grit your teeth and do it. Well, speaking of that, the last question is about any potential future service. You know, when you see Bolton Super PAC, it's very easy to see Bolton Super President behind that. And you've made no secret of talking about running for president in the past. Is that what you've got your eye on today? 
No, look, I, I, what I am focused on is uh, making sure that Republicans understand we've got a responsibility to oppose policies in Washington that we don't agree with and propose new policies that will be better for the country. We're, we're not a party based on personalities. It's not uh, a cult that we've joined up here. We, we want to provide better opportunities for Americans. I think we're well poised to do that in 22 and 24. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, the, the call of service can beckon in a lot of different ways. I, I always lie in these interviews and say last question. Now the last, last question, which is if someone came to you and said, I'm thinking about, for example, the first congressional district in New Hampshire or the second in CD in Maine or one of the swing districts that's, you know, pick upable. And they said, look, I'm a Republican. I really am a Republican. I, I'm not a Trump person, but I want to win. What's, what would you say, how should they answer the question, what about Trump? Well, I think they should, they should say the truth, that uh, their campaign is focused on policies looking forward uh, and that uh, relitigating what happened in 2020 or certainly going down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole about stolen elections isn't going to get us anywhere. People don't care about it. Donald Trump's in the rearview mirror. Honestly, the worst thing you can do to Donald Trump is not pay any attention to him. Well, I look forward to President Trump being restored to office in August, as he's promised <laughs> us he will, because I'm hoping he'll ask you to come back and help with foreign. We obviously things are going wrong in Iran. They're going wrong with Russia. We need to see Ambassador John Bolton back in the national security apparatus. Well, I'm not sitting by my phone in August. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> Former UN Ambassador John Bolton, thanks for joining us here on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. We appreciate your time. Well, thanks again for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please share it with your friends. Do all that stuff on iTunes with the stars and all that stuff. We really appreciate it. But spread the word. And if you haven't subscribed to the New Hampshire Journal newsletter, please go to NH Journal right now and do it. You'll be so glad you did. I'm Michael Graham. See you next time on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Thank you.